everybody. Welcome to today's edition of the One Million by One Million podcast. I'm here today with Vivek Ladrasia from Sine Wave Ventures. Vivek, welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's start by introducing our audience to you as well as uh, SineWave. What is, uh, is your investment focus? How big is the fund? Let's just get acquainted. Uh, excellent. Yeah, we are uh, a fairly new fund. We are Bico, still uh, based out of D.C. and California. Uh, SineWave Ventures, uh, at SineWave, invest typically in seed to be uh, stage companies, mostly in the enterprise software space, but, but also some companies in the what we define as the applied technology space, uh, companies in financial services, healthcare, uh, transportation, and the likes. Um, and, and we work very closely with our entrepreneurs, trying to help them bridge the gap with large enterprises and the public sector. Uh, we, we, we see a huge opportunity uh, for early stage entrepreneurs to both sell into those verticals, but also in some occasions navigate from a regulatory standpoint. Um, and, and that's that's what we are trying to work uh, with our portfolio companies towards. And how big is the fund? Uh, we are just over $60 million. Okay. And what size and this investment is our first fund. do you like to make? Uh, that varies. Um, so, um, as, as I said, we are a seed to B stage fund, and in the seed stage, our check sizes are slightly smaller, um, maybe in the five hundred thousand to a million dollar range. That that expands to the three to five million dollar range at the Series A and Series B stage, uh, where we, you know, either lead or, or co-lead or, or follow on and around, depending on the structure and the dynamics of the company at that time. And uh, let's double-click down a little bit on what your definition of seed is. What do you like to see in terms of validation? Since your focus is enterprise software, what do you normally like to see in terms of metrics for a, for a company to be interesting for you uh, to invest in the seed stage? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that's a great question because the seed stage has become so granularized that I think that yeah. there are various different stages of seed. Um, yeah. what, what, we, what we are typically looking for is, um, you know, th th there needs to be a team that understands the technology well and the space well. Um, and, and I think that's the uh, least common denominator for most VCs in the seed stage. I think everyone's looking for at least that. Um, what, what we need in the team, I think very specifically, is entrepreneurs who are in that space for a specific reason, not just the you know, current noise in the market around that space. So, so people who've been working uh, towards problems in that space for a while understand the challenges well. Um, as far as traction goes, I think that there are, there are um, uh, some revenue metrics that we look at. I don't think it's as easy to pinpoint across the entire sector. I think different companies still have different dynamics that they need to accomplish, but, but we do need to you know, see, see some kind of market traction, some kind of customer interaction. Um, a, a lot of companies that we, we, we've only done a handful of seed deals so far, and, and those tend to have some kind of pilot interaction with a few customers, maybe one or two of those pilots close to contract or, or moving towards a, a contract. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm sorry that's not more specific, but, but I think that uh, tends to vary with companies in different stages and, and the kind of product they're selling. Um, so, so companies that are selling uh, products in the computing space where, where an average 
customer might be in the thirty to fifty thousand dollar range, uh, we we expect to see at least a few customers uh, bringing um, the bringing the year to date revenue to to somewhere over two hundred thousand, but but an annualized run rate of maybe close to a million dollars. Um, and, and that might vary for a business that, that really is trying to sell contracts that might be a couple of million dollars where we, we don't expect to see uh, a fully baked out contract, but, but the company on track to doing that. Mm-hmm. And what about geography? You said you're a bi-coastal company. Do you invest all, all over the United States or just on those two locations where you are uh, located? What, what's your sweet spot? Yeah, so so far we have companies uh, uh, all across the U.S., uh, California, Boston, um, you know, d- different parts of the East Coast as well. Um, although we aren't tied to that, I think we are looking for companies uh, in the U.S., but, but also potentially outside. Uh, we, we have looked at companies coming out of Israel, uh, Latin America, and, and um, the likes. Um, but so far we've invested in companies in just the U.S., and um, let's take a few companies from your portfolio and double-click down to understand what you've invested in and how do you decide what to invest in. So tell us, a, give us a few examples, highlights of your portfolio, and also take us through the process of understanding how you've decided to invest in those companies. Um, sure. So uh, I'll start a little bit on the second part of that question on how we decide what we want to invest in. Um, the, the, there are two components to it, but I think we, we like to call ourselves a thesis-driven fund. So, so we do have a worldview around certain technologies and certain industries, and we come at companies um, from that position. So, so we uh, tend to look at companies where we believe that the problem is a real problem, and the solution that the company is offering uh, can actually try and solve that problem. Um, uh, diving down there, I think we, we recently invested in a company called Jump Bikes, um, where one, one would have argued that uh, urban mobility was a solved problem. We, we didn't see it as such. We, we, we thought that there was a lot still to be done there. I think you know Uber and Lyft have obviously um, captured all of that market and um, solved most of the issues there. But I think there was still um, some work to be done in small distances in very high-density urban areas. Um, and there, there, there's a lot of noise in that segment today, I think. Uh, we were seeing a flurry of scooters and bikes getting into that mm-hmm. space. But um, I think referring back to something I spoke about earlier, what we look for in a team is a team that really understands the problem in the industry and Jump had that team. Ryan, who's the CEO of the company, came, was an urban planner in New York for a while. The company mm-hmm. he started Jump, which was well, back then social bicycles, in 2008. Um, so sort of well before any of this noise started around, he, he really does truly understand the challenges. And, and the entire team that was built around there um, also did. Um, and, and when we spoke with them, I think we, we, we thought that that was the team that was going to carry this problem through and, and really develop a solution that works for all stakeholders, um, not just customers. I think uh, a, a key stakeholder that unexper- inexperienced entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who haven't really spent time in this space tend to ignore our cities. And the, the part of the reason why Jump was successful or is successful is um, that they work very well with cities. They know how to play nice. 
they know how to develop that relationship and, and try to address problems rather than uh, play in an ideological bubble. And, um, Sorry, I wanted to pause there to see if you had questions you, on that. Yeah, when they came to you, what was in the company? What did you see in the company that was already proof points, besides the fact that the guy understood the industry? Uh, so, so when we invest in the company, the company uh, hadn't completed its uh, launch of its new product called Jump Bikes. It was still social bicycles at the time, and they had experience of operating that business in several locations, I think across countries, not just in the U.S., that um, they were in uh, several dozen com- countries across the, across the world operating uh, social, bicycle, uh, social bicycles, primarily working with governments. So, so the business model then was, um, you know, getting space from governments, getting contracts from governments and, and deploying bikes so that people in the city could use it. Um, mm-hmm. The idea behind uh, launching jump bikes was um, that they, they had developed this new product, which was an electric uh, pedal assist bike. And uh, they that that was, you know, far convenient solution. Um, although it was a new product that the company was trying to launch, um, that this team had experience and had proven that they know how to deploy bikes, they know how to operate bikes um, across cities, they know how to work with city governments, and whatever element they do not, we, we were going to be able to help them with uh, city government. I see. So they they were basically in the incarnation that you funded, the thesis was that they were going to sell these newly designed uh, proprietary bikes to cities and also manage the the process of uh, renting out bikes to the citizens. Right, and and that that played out in San Francisco. I think when we invest in them, they still did not have their exclusive license to operate in the city of San Francisco. Um, they then got a distribution agreement with Uber uh, mm-hmm. to distribute, and and I, I guess it's been in the press lately uh, that they've been acquired by Uber. Um, so, so yeah, it was, um, I think it, it was a very well-defined thesis for us, very well-defined argument for us going into that investment. And, and, and a lot of that played out, uh, in a very short time. For us. And when did you invest in this company? Uh, this was a round that was announced in January. I think it was completed late last year, but the round was announced in January, 2018. I see. And, and it's already acquired. That's correct. I see. So what's the total amount of funding to um, exit ratio? What's, uh, how much did you put in and, and what is the exit price? So the total amount the company raised was a little over $10 million, I think somewhere in the range of $11 million. The exit size wasn't announced by Uber and the company, and I think I'm going to uh, respect their uh, uh, process there to announce it when they need to, but um, but, but it was uh, a good exit for all around the table, um, okay. investors, team included, and uh, more and most importantly, I think it's uh, from the team standpoint and the investor standpoint, the ones that were in the company believed in that problem, and at Uber, I think they have a good home. They, they know that they're going to be able to build it out, and it looks like it's a key uh, issue for Uber. They, they recently, I think they yes just yesterday they announced that they're going to go into more modes of mobility, not just uh, ride sharing uh, and bikes is going to be key for them uh, in cities. Um, let's do a couple of other exper- uh, examples from your portfolio just to understand Absolutely, how yeah. you think. And then I'll try to yeah. synthesize that. 
Yeah, a, a more yeah. typical investment for us. Um, we, we recently invested in a company called Rescale, which is a high-performance computing company offering simulation uh, to um, cloud simulation to to enterprises. Uh, and this is the Series B investment that we did in this company. Um, and um, our our view here was, I think, uh, as companies. Um, as enterprises tend to uh, launch and work on new products, it's going to be very expensive building uh, simulation platforms themselves in-house and doing it on-prem. And, and Rescale was offering a platform to do to do just that. And it was going to be a key um, product for anyone really launching and working on new products. Um, they've they've had success doing that across a variety of different verticals, uh, ranging from aerospace to automotive. Um, and even in insurance and healthcare, um, the so so th- th- this one I think that there were there were more reasonable, uh, fairly traditional SaaS metrics that the company had, and, and that we were you know going after. But but I think as investors and uh, I believe most investors would say um, I don't think we're just investing in metrics. But there's obviously a vision that we believe in and see this company getting to a point where. Um, it's much larger than what those metrics suggest today. And what are the specifics of this? So, um, how much money had already gone into the company, and what were the metrics with against which you invested a Series B? Uh, sure. Yeah, the company um, the company at that uh, time had raised a Series A, um, and it was a traditional size Series A, um, so some, somewhere in the ten ten odd million dollars range. That they had they had grown to without diving into the revenue. That they had grown to over 120 enterprise customers, uh, paying you know decent amount of money. And, and uh, I think what was in, interesting in that the you know uh, in traditional finance people talk about quality of earnings. Uh, um, although there aren't very specific earnings to talk about here, the, I, what, what, what I like to call this quality of revenue, uh, they, they have very high quality revenue. Um, by that, I mean, it's not just one industry. It's not very concentrated on one customer. I think it's across several industries. So, so they prove that their product can really scale uh, widely. Uh, and it's um, not just useful for one customer. It's useful for several customers. Um, and finally, and most importantly, the, for almost all of those customers, the revenue had been growing even within those accounts. So, so I think a lot of those customers had started out with a certain amount of money allocated to this running simulations. And over time, that grew significantly. And um, all of those were good signs to us. Mm-hmm. And um, can you talk to me a bit about how you view TAM? And I'll, I'll give you the context of where I'm coming from in asking this question. We are in April 2018, so lots of stuff have already been built. Nowadays, there aren't as many wide open opportunities out there to build these billion-dollar TAM businesses. And, and uh, you know, some people believe that they want to build, they want to only invest in $10 billion-plus TAM opportunities and so on and so forth, which are even fewer and far farther between. But I actually see that there are many, many niche opportunities out there, and some of these businesses need to be built for small amounts of capital. Um, you know, whether it's the $200, $300 million TAM opportunities or $500, $600 million TAM opportunities, or even in some cases smaller where you build companies for, 
you know, one to two million, sold for 10 to 15 million, still make 10x, still make, you know, good returns. Um, what, how do you view, what is your TAM perspective? What is, what is, uh, what is acceptable to you? Because your fund size is still small. It's a $60 million fund where you could be playing in the niche opportunities and seeking early exits. And it sounds like in the case of this Uber deal, you have, done exactly that. So can you uh, reflect on how you view TAM? Uh, sure. So, so I think there are a couple of uh, things that you brought up there, which are, I think, very important, and I'll address. The, the first part I don't necessarily agree with. I don't think we are at a time where <clears throat> that there are not the, – the, a lot of the big opportunities are already done or covered, I think, um, the, the, time, the, the the nature of the market that we're in today is very similar to – what the market's been like for a long, long time. I think that there are what seem like small opportunities tend to grow. And that I think with, with every major breakthrough company we've seen in recent history, it's, it's been that way where initially it seems like a very small company, very small dam, and then the company tends to grow from there on out, branch out into peripheral uh, uh, areas. That's not my then, point. Then... That's not my point. My point is that we have a very large number of micro VCs and small VCs um, out there right now, that number has exploded to over 700 just in the last couple of years. And I just don't believe that if everybody's chasing unicorns, there's going to be, it's going to be possible to find that many unicorn opportunities. Just, I mean, unicorns by definition are, right. are rare. So it's just not I, I agree. And, and, right, and, and which is what I was going to say, that the second part, which was that that, that you were mentioning, I, I strongly agree with. I think it's um, true. I think it's uh, especially for a smaller fund, uh, that the idea for, for a lot of smaller funds is it tends to be, um, you know, invest in uh, things that can return decent amounts of capital so, so that you can raise larger funds if that's your objective. Um, but, but I think smaller uh, returns, but there, there is absolutely no shame in a $100 million exit. Uh, and a $100 million right. exit can be great for early investors, great for founders, great for right. teams. Uh, and, um, and investors, LPs should be happy as well if, if the multiple is good, uh, especially if you did a deal at the right price, at the right size. Um, so, so I absolutely agree. I think there is no shame in that. And uh, in, in may I don't know. I haven't spoken to investors about this. It might be that investors don't vocally agree to this, but but I think every investor would be happy to invest in companies with that outlook. Uh, obviously, I think every investor wants uh, the, the the massive exit. Every investor wants to have invested in Dropbox, uh, but um, but I think smaller exits are uh, as good, uh, especially because. Uh, from an IR perspective, smaller exits tend to happen quicker and happen earlier, and um, uh, you, you can return a higher IR to investors. Um, and 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 just going back to the TAM question, I think uh, for most companies, I think even when we invest, there and for every company growing into um, becoming, you know, something like a Dropbox, there 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 invariably comes a time when the company is evaluating a mid-size exit or a funding round to go it big. And um, I think that's, that's a situation that everyone faces. And, um, and a mid-size exit could be great. And, and going it alone and trying to grow big is, is just additional risk at that time, which, 
which maybe saw smaller early investors are not uh, often do not want. So, so, so I think it's, it's, it's an, it is a nature of the so time. I think the I think synthesis of what you said is that you are open to the smaller capital efficient investments and, and earlier exits. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think uh, in, in general, regardless of um, what size of a market we are going after, we, we need our entrepreneurs to be capital efficient. And I think that's, uh, that, that's generally healthy, even if you're trying to build a massive business, because in order yeah. to raise the next round, if you're I capital agree. efficient, you'll you're get to get your milestones more efficiently. Totally agree. And you know, uh, two of my favorite unicorn companies actually are Viva and Fortinet. These are two incredibly capital-efficient companies that are today, you know, multi-billion-dollar market cap companies. Viva, in, in, in its entire history, raised, I think, $7 million in capital, of which $4 million never was necessary. They just had so much revenue and so much momentum that it was basically a company built with revenues and traction and, and just tremendous product market fit and tremendous execution. Fortinet also was an incredibly capital-efficient company that scaled tremendously and, and today is over you know, $1.5 billion, I think, in revenue and, and a tremendous market cap. So I, yeah, even no, no, when you're no, talking no. about unicorns, I prefer this kind of models. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree, and I'll add Salesforce to that list as well. I think it, it, uh, it not as capital efficient as Visa, uh, maybe, but I think that they, that they, they weren't, uh, that they did not raise the kind of money uh, a, a fairly standard unicorn might have uh, for, for their side. These days, that's a recent phenomenon. Well, I, I think, you know, in some sense, Salesforce did not raise as much money, but if it did, it would be more justified because they created the cloud market, right? There was too much, there was a tremendous amount of pushback on cloud when Salesforce came into the market. People were not willing to put data on the cloud, and I mean, they really created, they made the market happen. So that those kinds of deals can be much more capital capital intensive as opposed to capital efficient, but even so, they did not make as much, uh, they did not spend as much. Whereas nowadays, with the market, you know, if the cloud market is ready, everybody today assumes that it's a, it's a cloud deal, then why are people raising so much money and being so capital inefficient and so callous? I just, I, I don't like these kinds of deals at all. Right, I agree. And I think a, a, a little bit of that is trying to uh, use money to capture market, which, which I, obviously is not sustainable. Um, anyone no. with half a brain can, can say that. Um, but, um, but, but I think um, the deeper issue there is um, often, often you run into entrepreneurs who are, who are in it for the wrong reasons. Um, so, so, right. you know, trying to, trying to uh, get your chips off the table or, or get a payday along the way. And, and I don't uh, think that's, uh, that's the kind of an uh, entrepreneur we are trying to back in general. Yeah. Okay. So um, last question in the last, uh, let's say 15, 16 months, what are the trends in your deal flow? I'm sure you've seen a lot of deals. What stands out? Besides AI, everybody talks about AI. We know that AI is one of the dominating trends of the current um, cycle. <laughs> what else do you see? Blockchain and AI are everywhere. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, well, I guess d deal flow trends also tend to 
vary from fund to fund based on team backgrounds and, and what your history and investing yes. is. But I think, I think uh, smarter entrepreneurs uh, tend to dive deep into that before approaching uh, investors. So, so a lot of our deal flow tends to obviously be in enterprise tech. Um, we, we've made quite a few security investments and um, we, we tend to talk to a lot of security uh, entrepreneurs. Um, okay, we, we, security we made, is an necessary for you. It is, yeah. Um, so within enterprise, I think a few areas that we tend to focus on quite a bit is um, uh, computing, different kinds of computing. I think computing is um, changing from becoming a fairly generic uh, processor for everything to, to very hyper-specialized uh, kind of chips. Uh, and, and even in the cloud, uh, security is key for us and different kinds of data processing and the likes are, are important to us. And and since those are what are important to us, you know, both both our outward marketing, outward uh, kind of um, deal flow generation and our inbound um, deal flow tend to be in those worlds. Um, but but I, I don't think that's representative of the, the broad trends in uh, U.S. tech or, or California tech. I think that's very specific to what, what we tend to look at. And um, that, but, you know, in the venture our... cycle, enterprise software is a tremendously important and active segment. It has always been right from the beginning of time, and it will always it will be at least for the foreseeable future. So within enterprise software, cybersecurity does continue to be a great trend, and it has always been. Actually, cybersecurity is probably one of the consistently active areas of uh, venture investment, for, again, from the beginning of time in the venture Agreed. history now. Yeah, and, and that, that's just because it's such a massive, ever-changing problem. Uh, I think yes, that the, ever-changing. The, it, ever-changing. The, 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 yeah, the issue is I think the, the nature of threat and uh, malicious players, uh, they keep evolving so much with technology that I think technology needs to continuously keep evolving. Uh, and um, we are fortunate to be able to see good deals in that world. Uh, obviously, of, of late and recently, we've seen um, a lot of deals in the mobility space, um, partly because of our investment in that space uh, part, and partly because I think there is just a lot of activity there. Um, and, um, and some amount in uh, various financial services, a, a lot of that, though, is a lot of what we tend to find interesting there is um, more international facing, because I think that there are a lot of uh, things in international markets that are still unsolved, um, that that might be solved here in the U.S. And what is your um, presence or activities or interest in the healthcare space? That's a very high potential space right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, uh, we we strongly believe that there's the U.S. healthcare market requires a lot uh, of changes, and I think a lot of it is going to come from the tech world, um, largely because I think tech traditionally has been fairly consumer focused, and, and U.S. healthcare hasn't been. Um, so I think that the tech approach to that is going to come soon. We've we've been exploring the space for a while. Health operations, I think, um, are uh, is is a space that you know, requires a lot of a, a whole lot of tech analysis, and the likes can make that far more efficient. Uh, insurance is something we've looked at um, largely because I think insurance is broken as far as incentive alignments go with providers and consumers. And um, uh, so, yeah, I think that there are a few uh, different things we've been trying to play with in in that world. Okay. 
All right, well, that's a, a good introduction to uh, sine wave for our audience. Um, and we will look forward to working with your firm uh, going forward. Thank you for coming to the show today. And audience, thank you for listening. Remember, as Thanks. we always uh, emphasize on the website at 1mby1m.com, you can go to free public roundtables and register to pitch or attend at any of our free mentoring sessions. And these are working sessions where you can bring your projects so that we can work together in figuring out what your roadblocks are, what your strategy situation is, and give you feedback. So we'll be back with another edition of the 1M by 1M podcast. Thank you, Vivek, for participating, and uh, we look forward to working with you. Thanks for having me.